1: Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, in high fidelity.
2: Hello hockey fans and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa. We are now going to be affiliated with the inaugural launch of the Hockey Writers Podcast page over at thehockeywriters.com. We're talking with J.D. Styles from Cali Sports News, reporting live from the Stanley Cup Finals. And today we're being joined by the first general manager in Las
0: Vegas franchise history, George Nixby. With Pat Quinn, you know, I'm likely the finest man I've ever met in my life.
2: This is the Vegas Hockey
0: Podcast. We're talking with Clay Malarczyk. There's something about George McSee that everybody says is a good pick. This is the
2: Vegas Hockey Podcast, and we're talking with Dana Lane, play-by-play voice of the MLB Rebel Hockey team and owner of Dana Lane Sports. Joining us now is Matt Pryor of thehockeywriters.com. He's coming to us from the Dallas Stars training camp. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast, live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa. Chris, good morning to you, sir, or good afternoon where you are, for sure.
1: Uh, good snowy afternoon to you, sir.
2: And a and a winter wonderland you are in. How much How much snow do you got on the ground?
1: Well, this came out of nowhere, and then when they said three to six, you didn't think much of it, but I, I was skeptical because it came out of nowhere. The latest was four to eight. I did the first round of shoveling. We're already uh I think we're at a half a foot. So uh, uh I think when all said it's done we're gonna get at least, we're gonna get around ten uh, in the mar- my neck of the woods Long Island.
2: Uh my buddy's up in up in Reno right now and he's working up at the Tesla plant that they're building up there. The West Coast is getting pounded just the same, sir. They told him he's got a A trailer right outside a Reno, close to the job site, as a lot of traveling electricians will do, is they'll take their trailer and get a spot. And he's kind of close to the marina, which carries all the runoff from the mountains. And they told him it'd be a good idea this morning if he were to go ahead and move his trailer out of the floodplain and the the little marina and and town. There are giving out free sandbags, so I guess a couple couple inches on the ground, six, ten inches on the ground, might be better than a flood coming and and washing your trailer down the river. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i would,
2: I, would, I would say so so we're we're sitting here in las Vegas it's about forty five degrees with no rain going to fifty uh not too shabby not too shabby for us but i so guess did,
1: uh, so i, I yes yeah, so go I ahead take it uh uh what was your thoughts on the uh, world junior championship uh uh you know games and uh, especially the final have Canada
2: I thought it was a pretty exciting tournament, top to bottom. Um, I got to watch parts of a bunch of different games. Um, I watched Canada win their semi to get into the final. And I watched most of the the USA-Russia. Um, obviously, Troy Terry becomes the, the, the wonder kid of the 2016-17 World Juniors with – Uh, His his overtime shootout performances, I did think it was a shame um, that that kind of of hockey that was just fantastic in the gold medal game did go to the shootout. I'd really like them to let them play, if you will. Hashtag let them play and let the game be decided by the kids and not, uh, you know. The, the luck of the draw really it looked like on Canada's last shot even the the puck kind of rolled off off the off the guy's stick and he didn't even really get a get a good shot on Parsons there um I'd, I'd like to see maybe if you do the five on five 20 minute and they don't decide it maybe go 10 minutes three on three um I'm sure three on three would get the job done I know that's still a little gimmicky but at least they're playing hockey and not a, a I saw I saw one guy tweet that it was akin to having a field goal contest to decide the Super Bowl, um, with a championship on the line. I'd just like to see him play hockey. That's my only my only critique of it. But uh, really, really good tournament. A lot of high end skill on both sides in the in the gold medal game. Um, what what stood out to you through the tournament? Yeah,
1: I was really impressed with. Uh, I thought uh, Thomas Shabbat. Uh, who's an uh, Ottawa draft pick. He'll be in the NHL very soon. He was, uh, he was tremendous. Uh, I was kind of proud, not just from a Team USA standpoint, but um, three of the players on Team USA are not only from Long Island, but from Nassau County, Long Island, where I grew up and reside in. Uh, it would be Charlie McAvoy, uh, Jeremy Bracco, and Adam Fox. Who really had a good tournament? You know, I thought he was going to be kind of a support player for them. Uh, he had a he had a really good tournament. I think he might have had two assists in the last game. Um, so I was ha- I was very happy to see that. I thought Mr. Barzell uh, definitely stood out throughout the tournament as well, and being a top Islander prospect as well as well as Kiefer Bellows. He didn't have the greatest of tournaments, but he really had a strong final game. Um, right, but the teams were very close, and like you said, it was end-to-end action. And yeah, you know, I-, I would be more than happy if these were the kind of players that we had in the Olympics. These kind of uh, uh, the kids, if you will. I know some countries, uh, such as Russia, would send more pros, if you will, guys they have in the KHL. But you know, I'm fine with that. But I, I thought it was an outstanding tournament and shows, as we've been talking about for some time now on the show of how uh how much young talk that really stood out in this tournament
2: well i think the when when canada got on the power play and they had strome pierre-luc dubois and matthew barthol um that was almost unstoppable and i guess rightfully so with (laughs) having you know nhl experience on on that but um, it, was, it was a it was a beautiful thing to watch when when they got on their power play they were really well coached and and their skill really came to the top when they got on their special teams play. I want to I want to give a shout out. You mentioned him a little bit. Um, it seemed like every time that the Team USA needed needed a, a critical stop or or a, a spark that uh, your boy from Nassau there, Charlie McAvoy really really stepped up and and I think elevated himself. Um, quite quite well throughout the whole tournament. Um, it it just seemed that 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 number twenty five was was on the puck around the puck, um, getting it out, digging it out, d- able to take the hit and and make the play to to get the puck out of the zone. And, and I I think he's got a super bright future for, ahead of him in the National Hockey League. Um, what? what and uh, hey, uh, Colin what's – I would have missed too at his size, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He's uh he's a well built young man and, and I think that he's going to you know, really, um there there's times when just being able to to lead the breakout Himself or make that quick first pass to get it out of the zone. um He, he showed me flashes of, of a lot of things that that Drew dowdy can can do with the puck, as far as bringing it up the ice with skill and speed and and getting it out of trouble um when necessary in his own end as well. So I, I was really impressed with his play.
1: And you were going to mention uh, yeah, and Colin White and Jordan Greenway uh, for sure. For yeah, them, for so. sure. Big bodies, uh, uh you know, Greenway with Minnesota, Colin White, another Ottawa Senator guy. So Ottawa, I think, in the not too distant future, you know, definitely uh sometime next year you're gonna see Shabbat and, and Colin White being added to that team. And then uh how
2: many how many, the, in, the, how many kids the, in how many kids in Team uh, USA uh Boston College, yeah. huh? How many kids in Team USA so, uh, come from Boston College?
1: Most of college, Can BU, you? right? I know, yeah. Oh, college, man. BU kid, McAvoy. Um, and you know who I think really helped his stock for the draft was uh, uh, was the uh, Swiss kid. Uh, he sure, Nico. And uh, and uh, I think he had a real big tournament. And, uh, you know, a lot of people now are saying that he, he could be pushing for that number one spot, our own... A good friend of the show, Zach Devine, talked to him early in the week, and he has him on his currently number two on his mock draft board, and and maybe he got to be pushing um, Patrick Nolan, who's you know been dealing with a lot of injuries this year. So uh, I thought he had a really, uh, even though he wasn't the gold medal game, but I thought he really stood out in this tournament as well and did himself very well in terms
2: of uh, the draft. All right, well, uh, let's kind of move on a little bit. We did have. Uh, another another worthy topic here to break the ice with as we go, go into our show today, the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. 16-game winning streak comes to an end in Washington in an ignominious fashion with a 5-0 defeat at the hand of the Capitals. Um, we did have our, our Columbus Blue Jackets guest on a little bit earlier this season, and he didn't he didn't seem surprised that they were i think at the time we talked to him they were 9 or 10 in a row getting ready to play minnesota and they won that game and reeled off four or five more in a row before going down one game short of the record um this is the kind of runs that florida went on last year a little bit i think florida got 12 or 13 in a row before they lost and that propelled them into the playoffs and this where they came up one point shy of of uh, or did they act, they actually went into first place in their division for one night? Does this uh, what does this say to you about Columbus and their chance going forward into the playoffs?
1: Yeah, I mean they're, they're pretty much unless they hit a, a beyond a major, <coughs> speed bump, you, you know they're pretty much uh, a lock. I mean the top four teams in the Metro all in the mid fifties uh, to high fifties where Columbus is at. Uh, you know Pittsburgh, Washington, the Rangers, and Columbus. You know. Any one of those four teams can win the division, and the one that finishes fourth is going to have the number one wild card. Uh, the thing is with the playoff format, uh, you know, especially if you just miss winning winning the division. I mean, imagine, you know, right now if you're the Rangers and you're having this terrific season so far, oh, you know, what is your reward for it? Oh, you're going to get the Penguins in the first round, you know, and vice-
2: That'll be interesting.
1: Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, Columbus is playing with, you know, they're playing better defensively. They're playing with a lot of speed. They're playing uh, – they're still playing that in-your-face in uh, hockey a bit. Their, their power play is lethal. Baboski is uh, healthy. Uh, he has been consistent. And those are the two boots about him. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see. It will be interesting to see because I know Tortorella has already raised the red flag, you know, not that the streak has ended make sure that they don't go into, you know, things which just come to them kind of thing. So it'll be interesting. The Rangers are in Columbus tonight. So it'll be interesting to see uh how they respond. And I, I think they'll respond big well, at least from a mental standpoint, uh, of losing that game, you know, five nothing to Washington. I wanna, you know, not make a statement but come out and, and start a new streak. But real quick I look to uh, the be- any- did you see any of the outdoor games? Just want to touch base on that because, you know, next week we're having Jillian Fisher on and she was at the Winter Classic. So I was just curious, did you get to see any of the outdoor games and your thoughts on that? I,
2: I had a chance. I watched the, the Toronto alumni game and then I watched, okay. <laughs> excuse me, and then I watched uh, the second, the second outdoor game. Um, Chicago, I, I. Same yeah I went away. It was one to one and i and my parents were in town for the new year uh doing the whole champagne caviar thing and and hanging out with my mom and dad and we we went out for breakfast and then it was it was one to one and we come back and it was three to one so I kind of missed the uh, most, most most of the action in the game um you know the outdoor games may be losing a little luster um maybe overkill a little bit with the heritage classics that they do later in the season when it was, you know, when they brought it out and it was one game uh, right on new year's day, I really in, in, enjoyed that. But with, with, you know, it's like with anything, if, if you get too much of it, then you always, you always have that, well, I I, I can go do this and I'll just catch the one tomorrow or, you know, the centennial right. game Um it, the I did. I think I saw part of the, the Toronto game weren't they up? Uh, weren't they up five four and then they gave it up and lost in overtime? Or one in they overtime?
0: Right? Full,
1: they, yeah, they were up four one and I shut it off at that point with like eight minutes to go and then they won in right. overtime and played for it the next day. But yeah, you know, obviously I I don't mind them doing you know two three four of these games of the year. As long as they there's still one more to go this year. They're playing at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh uh, with the Flyers and the Penguins. So as long as they move these games around, you know I don't know I don't think Toronto's had an outdoor game. I know St. Louis didn't. Um, So I mean I know you've seen similar teams in these games because obviously these games are usually on NBC and they want the you know the big teams with the big stars. But obviously for marketing purposes, growing the sport, you know generating revenues for the sport, all that good stuff. Uh, you know, I, I'm okay with as long as they, like I said, as long as they keep moving it around. For instance, as big of a team as St. Louis is, this is the first time they've had an outdoor game where they were the host team. So, uh, right. you know, I mean, uh, I, I'd like to, you know, as long as that's going on, uh, I, I think they can they they can make this work. Well,
2: we'll get more into that next week. But uh, spe- speaking of the outdoor game and. I'll bring a little local flavor to it here with Dana Lang joining us on the Vegas hockey podcast. The news came out of Vegas this week that, and I think Simbin Vegas was the first guys to, our friends over at Simbin Vegas were the first to break the news that the rumored West point game that may or may not have involved the, the Las Vegas golden Knights was off due to uh, the inability of, of the rinks there to, handle an NHL game Dana happy new year to you sir and welcome to the show
0: happy new year to you as well how are you sir Oh, we're OK. We're OK.
2: I talked to you a little bit about uh, the wife's car getting stolen and all the things that we're going through dealing with getting everything <laughs> rekeyed and, and blah, blah, blah. But I think we've got that handled and, and the cameras are set up and we're actually sitting here hoping to exercise our Second Amendment rights if anybody wants to come back and try us again. So uh, other other than that, <laughs> things think things have been pretty good. Pretty good. So, uh, yeah, so, about that. What, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah no, we're, getting, we're getting through
0: it. I, I mean, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, it's the same thing that you had heard. I, I didn't really, you know, I mean, that was something that came up that was a possibility, and of course, you know, Foley, uh, you know, obviously would love to have a game there. Right? I kind of wonder though what the, you know, what the what the thought process is now that you know they gave him a kind of a hard time with the name, and I'm sure he still has a love affair with it, but. So in some ways, it's got to be kind of diluted because in his in his heart, uh, the name was nothing more than a tribute to where he came from, Um, and I don't think he wanted to use the name for any kind of financial gain. So uh, obviously, two entities that are on two sides of the coin, but um, yeah, they're they're not ready to hold an NHL game there, so uh, that's not going to happen for a while.
2: I was just wondering what why wouldn't it be on the army football field if I don't even I'm not even sure that it's on the campus of West Point to be honest with you, um, but but if it was going to be an outdoor game there wouldn't they put it on the football field and not on the on the rink?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You would absolutely think so. You know, for sure. I mean, then that way they could um, you know get a, a lot more fans at the game. But um, I seriously, I, I think that was just kind of something that was thrown out there. I I don't know how serious it ever got. You know, I know that the Rangers right. were uh, the rumored team to be the, the, you know, the team that the the Golden Knights was going to play, but I, I'm not even really sure how, and uh, in, in all honesty as well, this could be a, just a situation where, you know, Army said no, and and they came up with some other reason to, you know, to to, to give as to why the, the game wouldn't be held. But, you know, I right. I don't think it was anything that was. You know, we're 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 trying to get a preseason schedule together. I'm not even sure that that was. I, I think that was just a off the cuff down the road remark that it's something that Foley would like to do.
2: Well, we're we're talking with Dana Lane, owner of Dana Lane Sports, and we know he's busy with the NFL football playoffs starting today, and and his his work uh, handicapping and putting out some solid sports information on the Dana Lane Sports. Also, the host at KSHP 1400, Vegas Hockey Hotline, weekdays at 1 with Brian Blessing here in Las Vegas. And also, the play-by-play voice of UNLV Skating Rebels Hockey. When are they going to be back
0: in action, sir? Uh, They'll actually be back in action next week. They're going to go up to uh, Colorado for four games in four days. And uh, good way to get back in... uh, Yeah, Uh, they are a good way to to get back on track because, uh, you know, they've had a long layoff and, you know, now they're going to play the fifth ranked Northern Colorado team uh, to start off and then Boise, uh, Denver University and Metro University. And they'll be back January 19th against BYU, who's currently ranked 14th in the West. So a big schedule for the 19 and three Rebels, but I practice will start again on Tuesday at the Las Vegas Ice Center and so the second half of the uh, of the year or the second uh, quarter of uh, the last quarter of the year is going to start soon. And, you know, their eye is obviously on the prize of getting the top two, one of those top two ranking positions. Uh, so they don't have to compete in a regional. They could just get an automatic bid to, uh, to Columbus.
2: Absolutely. Uh,
0: well, the last time they did four games in four days, <laughs> it turned out pretty
2: good. So uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed over here that uh, things can <laughs> go. Sure quite a, maybe you know a couple 10 1 10 3 wins in in that stretch of four games in Utah but maybe maybe things can't go quite that well but but uh four four wins in in four days certainly something that the rebels are familiar with and have done this season uh, i wanted to th- throw it over to chris cuz we're starting to get a little bit of uh a little bit of chatter if you will out there about uh potential coaches that may be in the pipeline for the golden knights and he had a couple of questions about that chris
1: Hey Dana, happy New Year!
0: Happy New Year to you, Chris. How are you?
1: Doing well, doing well. I've been yeah. shoveling today, shoveling snow. That's that what
0: happens. I hear. So, uh, yeah.
1: So, uh, so I read a couple of names, and and also it just came to me. You know, I've seen on the rumor board uh, for the Golden Knights head coaching guys that are going to be on the you know possible interview list. Greg uh, Barubi, who did a decent job with the Flyers. You know, Kirk Muller, who's been an assistant, I think he was a head coach for a bit as well. Uh, but, you know, now, Dana, that we're in 2017, I mean, I, one would think, uh, I mean, are we, are we not going to see a Golden Knight head coach until after the season ends? Uh, because, you know, obviously if they take somebody who's a top assistant from somebody else, uh, what are you hearing about that whole process? And have you heard those
0: it's yeah, I, of course I've heard those names, and it's an interesting, interesting dyna- dynamic uh, for what for what George McPhee says he's looking for. I don't think Kirk Muller is going to be an option. I mean, obviously, his the coaching experiences with the Carolina Hurricane, and um, not very impressive. Uh, of course, at the time in the early you know two, uh, 2011 through 2013, they weren't. Uh, that that good of a team, so I'm not sure what else anybody else could have done with it. But for what he says he's looking for, for experience, been with multiple teams, that sort of thing, I'm not sure that he's going to be, you know, on the forefront. But Craig Peruby has become an interesting topic, at least. Uh, again, not where I would look, but it's kind of interesting, because This American hockey league affiliate thing has popped up now. And the first name that we hear is the Chicago Wolves and lo and behold, who is the head coach of the Chicago Wolves and Craig, uh, Craig Berube Uh, doesn't have enough experience for me, but let's also remember that Craig was traded to the Washington capitals in 93, which was before George McPhee got there. But he was still there in 98 in McPhee's first year. And you'll remember that that was the, that was the year that the Capitals went uh, to the Stanley cup. So there is some sort of a relationship there with McPhee and Berube. And, um, you know, I I wouldn't put it out of uh, my mind that that Craig wouldn't be a guy that you might look at. Uh, He also played for the Islanders, not when McPhee was there, but Certainly, there might be some sort of a residue uh, resonating from his time there where people can say, yeah, I mean, um, uh, we feel this way about him. So there is a McPhee-Berube connection there for sure. Um, I'm just not sure with the, with the, the, the traits that, that McPhee says he's looking for. I'm just not sure that either one of them is, 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 it falls into those categories.
1: Yeah, good point you mentioned, too, with McPhee in terms of connections. And, you know, everyone, uh, you know, writing for the Islander website, Eyes on Isles, everyone's, you know, talking about the expansion draft and obviously McPhee's with the Islanders the last couple of years. But even though it seems like a while ago, which it really isn't, Oh, gee, George McPhee was the GM of the Capitals. And talking to a good friend who's going to be a guest on the show in a couple of weeks, Alan Zodosinski, and uh, about possibilities with the Capitals, who they could lose. And he mentioned to me about their young uh, cheap uh, backup goalie who's just looking for a chance who's done well in limited play, and lo and behold, who drafted him but George mcFe so right, that, like, right. you know so you know you when it comes time for expansion and such and and also with head coaching uh you know looking for look for those kind of connections i i would I would have to think that, Dana before I pass it back to mark um that Gerard Galant's can to like, at least get an interview, one would think right.
0: I would think so but again you know there's no uh, outside of Scott Lewis, who who's in the organization now there's not a you know there's no Maxie um, Gallant connection uh, and right. one thing I know about McPhee, or at least I've been able to tell, is that he's a huge connection guy. He likes to work with people that he's comfortable with and likes to work with people that other people in the organization are comfortable with. And I would have thought, hey, look, at least Scott got a hold of, of the lot and said, hey, uh, you know, sorry to hear what happened. And I'm sure he's on the list. But, you know, I think as the season goes on, here here we are again with the rumors about. A guy like Claude Julien uh, are starting to pop up a little bit as well because you know Boston. We don't know who they are as a team, and you know, I, how many years are you going to go through this in Boston? I mean, I think you know we we saw Sweeney look for some new blood and kind of turn things over when he got uh, got rid of um, you know some team members of the Bruins, and 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 he kept he kept Julian because a lot of his bad luck there was because of injuries um granted but you know hey look like with anybody taking over uh an organization you want your name stamped on it and i'm, I'm telling you if a guy like claude julian is available and willing uh all bets are off for any of these other names
1: well claude julian's going to be coaching the islanders next year so you can you can take that one oh, okay yeah.
0: <laughs> I missed that one. I well, missed if, that. I,
1: if I, I had my brothers, that's what uh, that's what i would but i'm with you on claude julian yeah I think, but the thing is, I think the Bruins are what they are. They are a team that have a lot of really good forwards, and and is playing unbelievable. But they're just not strong enough on the blue line. So, I think they're doing great, all things considering.
0: Well, yeah, defensively. I mean, certainly that's uh, that you know going into the season, we knew that that was going to be one of their issues, and and we saw here in the World Juniors that you know with with Charlie McAvoy in the system and. Uh, we, you know, we have Charlotte and Carlo. I think Carlo's going to get better. I mean, I, I think the future is bright for them. I just don't know, you know I, I, as a former Bruin supporter until the Knights came about, I'm just not sure this kind of knowing you know the way the Boston organization runs, you know let's let's understand that if they don't get lucky against the Maple Leafs a few years back and and come back in dramatic fashion mm-hmm. to to take them out in the playoffs, Julian probably is not in Boston right now. And and so how many years of me, there was a complete collapse at the end of the year last season, you know, make no mistake. I mean, this was a team that was in first place with with about about five weeks to go in the season and completely collapsed. I'm not sure as we get down the stretch here, I'm not sure that they're going to be completely happy with that same result again uh, in Boston. But to your point though, and in, in more to mine, I think there's still some time here, but I do also I do think that if I'm uh, the Golden Knights, when I'm going through all these mock drafts, I somewhat want to have an idea of a coach to fit the yeah. pieces that I'm trying to put together on this team. Agreed.
2: Yeah, 100%. And, and to uh, to to your point, Dan, McPhee has already laid out the brand of hockey that he wants to see this this team play and do you think that that the Claude Julian heavy heavy puck possession style of game would fit into the aggressive attacking style that George McPhee has described to us all
0: oh I well I look I think Boston has been not as uh, certainly a puck possession team, but I don't think they've been nearly as physical in the year and a half that, you know, they had been in, in previous years under Julian. I mean, look, they're, they're second in the league and shots on goal per game. I mean, they're certainly pushing the puck up. Uh, I, I think that Julian has completely changed the, the style of his team over the last year and a half. And all great coaches are going to be able to adapt to the players that they have, and they just don't have yep. you know the the team to play a heavy brand of hockey anymore. so I, I've seen this Bruins' team be more wide open than I've seen in the you know the past ten years.
2: And, and then uh, I, I agree with that. And Coach Vigneault in New York has a, a, is always impressed me with his ability to play that high skill style in Vancouver and then go to New York and not have those horses to race with and change his coaching style to adapt to his personnel and take his team to the Stanley Cup final. Um, that's the, that's exactly the trait that you're talking about there. And I think coach Vino is, is a perfect example of that. And, and maybe we'll end up finding out if coach Julian has that, that kind of adaptability. And I think, I think it's through necessity. Like you said, players like Milan Lucic have, have been down the road from Boston and, They've brought in an uh, uh, old friend of the Kings, Colin Miller, who won as a defenseman the hardest shot and fastest skater in the AHL skills competition. So they are kind of going into that hybrid direction. I'd like to see just a coach oh. with a style like Coach Cooper in Tampa Bay uh, get the reins if there's any of those co- coaches out there.
0: Well, may, I just want to add one more point to that too. It, it, aside from style – I want somebody here that is a, a coach that's a beacon of strength that has done it before that has said, Yes, I'm all in on Las Vegas because players are are going to pretend, you know, look at Las Vegas and say, geez, you know, if Claude Julian thinks we got something there and it's worth going to, then maybe I'm gonna take a little bit of a harder look, whether you're a you know, a free agent or uh, or somebody that, uh, you know, two or three years down the road, you know, you have no idea how long that effect is going to be, um, is, is going to have a major impact on this. But if you get a guy like Craig Berube that, you know, is an AHL coach, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a free agent looking to go to Vegas and I still see the tag expansion on this team, I may be, I may be less likely to take a chance on that rather than if we have an established coach That's been to the that's won a cup and been to a cup. I think they're they're more apt to get better quality players to take a chance on Las Vegas.
2: I agree, and that's a lot of the same conversation we had about who the general manager should be. With should they go with the young guy uh, like the John Shakaya in in Arizona, up and coming, and uh, thank goodness he went with the 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 veteran general manager that's proven that he can do it. Uh, and, and with with George McPhee, and I, I, I like the the way you're thinking about that. That head coach needs to, to be an established, um, you know, an established coach in the league, and, and not the up and comer. Now, maybe you maybe you affiliate with Chicago and and get to know Barubi a little bit better and, and groom groom him for hopefully maybe a future position with our club but uh, I think you got to go with established established coaches there. Well, We've got our next guest, Rob Soroya, on the line. Dana, I'm going to ha- have to let you go, sir. I appreciate you coming in, as always. If you're in Las Vegas, make sure you listen to Dana and Brian at KSHP 1400 every day at 1 o'clock for all the, the local news about the Golden Knights. And coming up, UNLV Hockey, they have the uh, YouTube link where if you want to hear Dana do the play-by-play for the UNLV Skating Rebels down the stretch, you can – get the schedule and, and, and watch the games on YouTube with Dana Lane.
0: Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me on. And
2: and make sure you follow Dana, make sure you follow, follow Dana Lane on at Dana Lane sports on Twitter for his handicapping expertise. And also for all the hockey news out of Las Vegas at Dana Lane NHL also on Twitter. Thank you, sir. And you have a great day. We'll talk to you next week.
0: Always a pleasure. Best of luck to both of you this week. All right. You too.
2: And now we're going to bring in Rob Saria uh, joining us from Canada to talk about some Edmonton Oilers hockey. Rob, good day to you, sir. Hello, Mark,
3: Chris. How you guys doing?
2: Uh, we're good. It's good to talk to you again, buddy.
3: Yeah, same here. How was your guys' New Year's and holiday season? All good?
2: uh yeah yeah well, i went through a little bit of tribulation where they stole my wife's car right out of the driveway and got the keys to it we got the car back but they got the keys so uh i'm currently posting up with eyes out the window waiting for my opportunity to get those keys back if he decides he's stupid enough to come back by my house but other, other than that we had a great holiday i think chris is up there shoveling snow today how is it where you are uh- Good,
3: typical January in Edmonton. You know, it's a, it's a little frigid. Uh, I don't really have much in the way of snow to deal with, so Chris has me on that. But uh, yeah, everything's good, fantastic, and everyone's uh, still pretty pumped about how the their beloved Oilers are doing these days.
2: Now, is that uh, I want to get right into it? Is that are we are we living up to expectations or exceeding expectations this deep into the season?
3: Oh, in my mind, exceeding. Uh, I don't even think it's it's uh you know they have flaws still in their game but as far as where they you know currently sit in the standings they're three points out of first in the pacific right like they're they're right there it's exceeding i yeah i, looked, sure. at, I looked at them coming into the season as nothing more than a bubble playoff team and who knows maybe they slip. um but it it all depends on la if they get quick back and there's a turnaround there if not i don't see why they don't finish somewhere in the top three in the Pacific.
2: With uh, with respect to Quick, I don't. Um, I think there's more problems in LA. That's, you know, I'm a Kings fan. But with Budai Sporting, yeah. uh, what has he got? He's got 17 wins. He's got a 2.00 goals against and a 929 save percentage. That's not. Quick's not going to come in and improve on that after being out of action for, you know, darn near a, a year and coming off an injury. I think Peter Budai's done everything he could do. And I, I think I don't see that quick returning is the panacea for the Los Angeles Kings right now. They need to figure out how to put the puck in the net. With Jeff Carter and 21 goals and no other member of the Los Angeles Kings in double digits in goal scored, that is going to be the issue that takes down the Kings this year, not the goaltending. I thought Peter Budai has come in and done exactly what he needed to do and taken advantage of his opportunity. And who knows, he might be a golden knight next year as well as he's played this year. Um, but anyway, back 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 to the Oilers. That I don't think I don't think you guys have trouble from Los Angeles in your rearview mirror as much so maybe as you, the the dog days of January that came up and bit Arizona last year, who was in third place this late into the season with their young guns. How 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 is this team built to? sustain i mean aside from Connor mcdavid leading the league in in points and probably going to continue to do that all the way through the season is how is this team built to sustain that through the next 40 games and and secure a playoff spot
3: well that's the thing i don't know. <laughs> that's a million dollar question <laughs> we'll see if they are right right because um right now a lot of it is especially lately like dry arguably carried this team even more so than mcdavid over the last month especially the last two, three weeks, he's been arguably their best player. And Talbot's still playing at a pretty high level and plays a lot. Um, their defense, while still flawed, uh it's no question, you know, way better than what they had. So if McDavid kinda starts to kick it into gear again, and you know, guys like Eberle, especially Eberle, uh, starts finding the back of the net. He's got like one goal in his last eight, 18 or 19 games. It is at the moment, so which is insane considering the most of those uh, most of those games he's been playing next to McDavid. Um, so if they get that secondary scoring, uh, they should be able to maintain with their goaltender playing at the level he is. If there's a slip in goal, the they're gonna they're gonna have some troubles. Um, they, their schedule is compact in certain areas but they also get a couple of weeks at a time both in uh late february and i think early march where or no late march where they actually have you know successive like two games in 10 days sort of thing so those are games where, or days where talbot can rest so you know if he plays a lot they they should be good to go
2: well, you, you mentioned Talbot, and I wanted to, to get to that. He's third in the league and wins with 19, but his goals against is right around two and a half per game at 2.48. Is that a number that the, the Oilers can live with being the, the, the pace that they score at? <coughs> or is that, uh, is that something to be worried about as they go forward?
0: Well,
3: from the grand in the grand scheme of things, I think that puts the Oilers in you know the upper half of the league ish, right? And typically they're in the bottom third of the league when it comes to goals against. So there's it's a, it's fine, right? It's a three two league. So if they get ah, two Shredder. and <laughs> a half goals a game, yeah. Well, it's what it is. It's a, he's a hundred percent right. It's a three, it's still two, a three league. two league. Yep. And yep. If it's a, it's a three two league, and if he's letting in two and a half goals a game, um. You got a chance to win every night, and that's what he's doing. He stole, he helped steal a game in Boston that they really got thoroughly outplayed in in the first two periods. They played yeah. well in the third. He had nothing to do in the third. But you know, if you go back a few games, the game against Vancouver last Saturday, Oilers didn't play very well. They got a goal late. He kept them in the game. Um, they're getting. That's the other thing. They're getting a lot of points, loser points, you know, which in today's NHL are a must for most playoff teams. If you're going to the shootout or overtime and you drop a game here and there. At least you're getting points, and that's helping the Oilers stick right where they are with San Jose and Anaheim. Even though Calgary's starting to come as well.
2: Vancouver, surprisingly enough, Vancouver is actually just past the Kings and and is only a point back. Um, and there are seven teams within four points right now in the Western Conference for that last wild card spot. So it's going to be a shootout down the stretch. And the the best hope for Edmonton is to maintain that third spot. And they've opened up a three point lead now uh, behind them for that spot in the Pacific. And I think their best chance is to just to get that third spot because there's gonna be a lot of ground. If, if they did go into a little bit of an offensive slump um, where where they drop you know four out of six or something, there's too many teams bunched up that have been there before and have gone yeah. through that stretch, like Dallas, Los Angeles, uh, even even most of the squad there in Vancouver that have gone through those grinded-out grinded games down the stretch and know how to get it done. Um, Edmonton's best hope, I think, is to just secure that third spot. And right now, I don't see any reason they can't. Let me bring Chris in. Uh, Chris, I know you got a couple questions for Rob. Why don't you fire away, buddy?
1: Hey, Rob. Good to talk to you again. i got three three questions for you here. Let's start with Mr. Lucic. Uh, what would you, how would you assess his performance, both on the ice and in terms of mentoring the young guys?
3: Um, Lucic is a is a is a funny one in this neck of the woods. Part of the reason is, you know, the contract and length of the, his contract. Plays a part of things. And Lucic has always been a great five on five guy throughout his career. This year, it's been the complete opposite. He's done next to nothing five on five, and he scored quite a bit on the power play. So, production wise, if you look at it, he's not way off his career norms. It's just he's getting there in a different manner, shall we say. Uh, up until recently, uh, Todd McCullen kept force feeding him to McDavid, even though it's become abundantly clear going back to last year and through stretches of this year. That maroon is a better fit on the left side with McDavid. So I think because of that, um, some people have looked at it as a, you know a 50-50 proposition. Shall we, shall we say? Part of the issue too, though, I think people in this neck of the woods were expecting Lucic to come in and be this you know this dominant physical force that was going to kick the living crap out of anyone if they looked at McDavid the wrong way. And it's just it's, the game's not played that way anymore. And he honestly hasn't been that player since the first probably three four years of his career in boston he's still an intimidating figure Um, apparently he's been a great fit in the room and uh, to go back to what uh, mark was saying earlier he's one of those guys who's come in and knows how to win which they didn't have so he has helped in that sense for sure right and i think that's played a big part you know he may not have he may not have delivered so much the performance that people have expected but in my opinion it's hard to say it's it's a failing grade on what he's done. It's just it's, – it's about what I expected, but probably less than what some people expected.
1: Now, you mentioned Cam Talbert, uh, Rob, and, well, you know, from afar, I believe he's started every game for the Oilers but four. And that is I correct. Would, wow. <laughs> I, would be con- I would be concerned in terms of once you hit that, you know, hit March 1st or so, and I know you said there's a couple – breaks in the schedule. Obviously they have that player break this year, uh, which I don't think Edmonton's hit yet as well. Um, uh, but how how concerned are you that you know, those last thirty, forty days when the push is on, that Cam Talbert's gonna the tank is gonna be near empty based on how much he's used?
3: Well, I I'm in the minority. I think he can do it. In this neck of the woods there's a lot of people that are uh fall into that category that you're referring to. Uh, a lot of people who think that tank's going to be empty. Um, if you watch Talbot play, and again, I watch more of him now, obviously, than I would have with the Rangers, but he, he's got a very quiet style and game, too, the way he plays. So because of it, there's limited movement. And over the last, well, year plus since he's been here, he's always seemed to play better when he plays a lot. You know, and there's a lot of goalies. This misconception that goaltenders have to play 60 games, are they going to be worn out? Well, not not necessarily, right? He's played a lot early. But again, if you look at the Oilers' schedule early on, October was a, was a walk because it was so easy. They didn't leave Canada until the first week in November. It was such an easy schedule. November was tough, and you saw him kind of falter a little bit with the rest of the team. But even this current road trip, like they play tonight in New Jersey, he'll play. Gustafson will probably play tomorrow in Ottawa. Then the Oilers have a six-game homestand where they play every other day. And then they go to Calgary on the, uh, the next, basically back to back at the end. But then they play three in eleven days. So if you limited practice time, you know, I, I, and and they have, I don't see why he can't play. There's no signs of him slowing down. Now, could it be at the end of the season? Yeah, I guess. But you know, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, you have to upgrade in Gustafson. And I don't think Gustafson's that great of a goalie. I never have. But the Oilers have other issues that I think need addressing first. If they can upgrade a backup, great. You know, but I have no issue with Talbot playing well, if he plays sixty five to seventy games, so be it. You know. Grand Fear played seventy five here. <laughs> so I don't see why Cam Talbot can't play sixty five to seventy.
2: Well when, when Grand Fear was there in all fairness, most of the play was on the other end of the ice, sir. <laughs> now,
0: that,
3: to, but to be fair too, that's not completely true. <laughs> <laughs> back, back in uh, when he did it in 1988, it wasn't the case. Remember, he was nominated for right, MVP right. that year with Gretzky and Lemieux. So right. that, that's a fallacy I think some people sometimes have with the Oilers. At times it's true, but especially during the latter part of the those that era, they 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 turned it up to a different notch in the playoffs. But during the season, it was there was still a lot to do, and and the travel out here is the is is what it is, and it's always been terrible, and it still is.
2: For sure.
1: So Rob, uh, in terms of the tr- before the trade deadline, uh, I guess the, the obvious question would be, you know, Edmonton's going to be looking uh, to improve that blue line, maybe get in a veteran player and kind of earn a, a, a exercise that goes with this uh, playoff drought. Uh, how active do you think they will be? And you know, what kind? I mean, do you think they'll be very active to get a guy like a Johnny Oduya or a veteran like that? to help out this blue line for down the stretch? And how, how much of a willing buyer would they be? Will they, for instance, I'm just speaking out loud, will they trade let's say like two second-round draft picks? Or the, you know better than me, but I don't think their pipeline is the greatest. So probably talking, thinking more draft picks.
3: Yeah, the, the issue with the Oilers this year, um, they're kind of going into the deadline. They're in that spot where do you really want to give up something legitimate for a potential playoff run when I don't really think they're capable of a potential playoff run. You know, could they get into the playoffs and maybe cause havoc for a round or two? For sure. But uh, the issue with the back end is there's rumor around here and has been for a few weeks dating back to what uh, the GM and Mr. Cirelli was saying about Russell, like they're actually considering signing Chris Russell, which I, I honestly can't see, especially not until after the expansion draft, but if you're bringing in another blue liner, um, it's it's going to cost them. And the issue they also have is they don't have a third line center because drysdale has been playing on the wing lately and now on McDavid's line and previous to that with uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and they're short on right wing because Eberle isn't scoring. So, yeah, they need an upgrade on the back. You're 100% correct, Chris, but they also have other holes in that lineup. So will they... Will they look at upgrading? Probably. My guess is if they can do it with uh, a third round pick or so. I'm pretty sure actually they don't have a second rounder this year because I think this is the one that goes to Boston for them signing Chirelli. But they do have a thir- two thirds because they have um, one from the Yakupov deal. So could they do something like that? Possibly. But uh, yeah, um, I, I think they will be. I honestly expect the Oilers to make moves prior to the expansion draft once the season's over um so they can kind of juggle their uh what they end up protecting or not but yeah come playoff time it's really hit and miss man it really is Mark I'm going to hand it over to you.
2: Okay, well you mentioned the expansion draft so let's uh let's talk a little bit about that. If you had to pencil in uh who they would be protecting and and who they might be losing, what would your uh what would your expansion roster look like for Edmonton
3: with the Oilers the big question is whether they go the four and four or seven and three right and as of the moment as to who's here uh, they essentially have five forwards up front that they'd want to protect in Maroon Eberle Dreisaitl Nugent Hopkins and Lucic and then on the back end they have three confirmed that you think in Kleppbaum Larson and uh, Um the one body that he hasn't had a great year because of injury this year that they really don't want to leave unattended back there is Brandon Davidson because I think someone would grab him. I think Vegas would grab him instantly. Um, but then if you go four, four, and one, you're looking at what forward do you leave un, unprotected, right? Which means do they move a big ticket prior to like an Eberle? Because at some point they're going to need that money with Lucic's money on board. You're going to need money to long-term dry sidle and mcdavid pretty quickly because if you leave maroon unprotected you think vegas is in on that as well unless the oilers make a side deal with them which i know have been rumored with some people where it's like here we'll give you something legitimate if you leave so and so you know free if we leave them unprotected so those yep. would be the biggest ones i'd say and the other option depending on what's there is if they go the goaltending route the Oilers, and had a great year or a great month and a half in the farm, but you know, as a as a potential goaltender, where they got to pick three, it's an option. Problem with him is he's got to go through waivers to clear. So if Vegas were to take him, it would have to be as a backup, right? I'm not one who I think where Vegas is gonna. I know everyone's going on about how they might blow whatever a bunch of money on a goaltender. I I don't know why they would. You know, if you get. I'd rather go to Dallas and get one of those guys. They only have a year left than a guy like Fleury who has multiple years left. So, But we'll see, right? That's It's tough to say because there's so many options that will be out there, and I think we're going to see a ton of movement prior to by pretty much every team in the league.
2: Yeah. My, my goalie of my fantasy goalie here has been Bishop contract expiring at the end of the year. Vasilevsky struggling as the man since Bishop got hurt. So when they come back, they're going to, you got to decide, are we going to make the playoffs? If so, they're going to have to hang on to both goalies all the way through. And then we have a uh, exclusive window to negotiate with any free agent that uh, I think it's a couple weeks before, it's actually two days before the expansion draft. We have a window to actually sign free agents that no one else in the league has until July 1st. So if they're going to blow a bunch of money on a goalie a as in a finalist who's in the prime of his career would be someone I would like to blow money on, not a 39 year old goalie who, uh, granted has two Stanley cups, but, uh, Ooh, one of them was from the bench, and he also has given up eight, ten goals in playoff games at the same time. So I don't want to go to Pittsburgh for – you know what I'm saying? That, that that goalie question I think comes down to maybe Ben Bishop. I know Montoya just got signed, so that could be a good backup. I mean, we, we could go down that list, but I don't think the goalie answer is coming out of Edmonton.
3: No, and the, the other thing too, I think with – With uh, sometimes when it comes to this Vegas thing, so many people are looking at, oh, what players are they going to take? Well, you got to remember, this is Vegas's one chance. If they can get young players from organizations, that's what they should be focusing on,
2: not going
0: to
3: get, you know, established talent. Like why? Like you, like you said, you can go do that via free agency. They're not going to be probably very good for a couple of years anyway. But if they can build something in the farm by the expansion draft by taking, you know, a guy from almost every team that looks like hey, it's a younger player that maybe has an upside, well why wouldn't you do that? Just it makes so much more sense. And then like you said, you can focus on free agents that are out there. And then if you gotta make the odd deal here and there, you do it.
2: Yeah, for sure. I was talking with the cat from St. Louis and mentioned Ty Ratty, who, who isn't going to find a home in St. Louis, but he is a skilled player, taking 17th overall uh, first-round pick who just hasn't found his way in a Hitchcock system. Now with McPhee saying he wants to play that ups, upscale, uh, fast-tempo attacking type of game, I think your value is going to be in getting those former first- round picks that haven't become into their own yet in the 21 22 looking for a fresh start they didn't forget their hands they didn't forget their feet it a lot of times it's just a question of organizational fit and and like you said if you could fill fill the cupboard up with you know 10 to 12 of those type players that will be able to grow into your franchise and and just ice you know, maybe not the cream of the crop in the first few years. It's like you said, you get one chance. You want to create that organizational depth right away because, you know, as, as you've seen, it, the draft isn't uh, always, you know, cut and dry for a lot of teams. It's really tough to build a, a skilled pipeline um, like, like Arizona has that, you know, it's tough to do, so I don't think that you need to make that splash like you're talking about
3: no no for sure And like ratty's a good example and with him well him going on waivers this week in carolina grabbing him but even from st louis another perfect example an ex-oiler in yakupov if i'm vegas and there's no one on on st louis that does anything for me i take Yakupov in two seconds he'd probably excel in that sort of situation right they're not going to be the pressure is going to be minimal. He'll be entertaining to the fan base out there. And he'll probably right. score. You know? like And again, it's a perfect short-term band-aid solution that might help bring people to the building, get them excited about a brand of hockey they're playing, while you said allowing them still the ability to bring in other pieces elsewhere. So uh, it's it, it'll be interesting. And from an Euler standpoint, uh, honestly, if I'm Vegas and Davidson's available, that's who I take. Griffin Reinhart's obviously going to be made available too. Uh, who I didn't mention earlier, and possibly you go that route. another young defenseman. I'm assuming they'll take yeah. a lot of young defensemen, but the problem with Reinhardt, and I'm sure Chris can attest to it as well with during his days with the Islanders, they're still not a percent sold on him being able to to make it into the NHL as a regular you know that uh, he's a big boy. He played really well here for, with the oil kings. Um, but he has yet to take that next step. and him being such a big guy, he just doesn't play with that aggression, uh, which would make him a far better all around defenseman in at the pro level but we we just haven't seen it yet, right, so he thinks the game well, not a great passer, not a great skater um but should still be good enough to be like a bottom pairing defenseman in the n h l you would think especially on an expansion team right
2: right i th- i think either one of those two uh and we'll talk about it uh later on in the season, but I think either one of those two would be would be a a, a fine way to go i think. Davidson probably more so than Reinhardt for the for the reasons you mentioned, but Reinhardt's still young enough to to grow into that mentality that'll fit his body type a little bit, I think, right?
3: Yeah, yeah hopefully that that is the hope, yeah. right? <laughs> that was the bet from the Oilers' standpoint, right? When they ended up giving up the two picks, and it's not looking like that great of a, a deal at the moment. But then on the flip side to them, if they would have actually recognized what Davidson was, because he was already in the system. Um, maybe you don't make that deal, right? So, but hey, and the other thing with the Oilers this year is Matthew Benning, who they signed as a, you know, unrestricted free agent out of college. He's been, he's been fantastic. He's arguably been one of the best four defensemen. So that's another positive for them moving forward. The problem is they don't have those horses on the back. Right.
2: Right. Right. Well, we're, we're going to be up against it here in a minute. Chris, do you have anything else for Rob today? Yeah,
1: that's it, Rob. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, Uh, we'd love to have you back on, especially if, uh, you
3: know, the Oilers can uh, make the playoffs. Yeah, for sure, guys. And I, like I said, barring a collapse, uh, I just with McDavid, the the kid, like I said, even though he's going through a bit of a tough stretch, which for him a tough stretch is like, you know, nine points in 10, 15 games or something. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) once, once he kicks it into gear again, um, you know, he alone will be able to win the odd game by himself. So they should be able to sneak in. And uh, I'll tell you this, there's no, this, this uh, city has been waiting uh, well over a decade for it. So it'll be a madhouse out here for sure.
2: New stadium, new outlook. I love it. How, how is, how is the, uh, the new arena down there, by the way, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you that real quick. I'm sure you've been there, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's
3: very, uh, it's, it's it's a new arena (laughs) when you walk in you know north northland slash Rexall that's been here forever you walk in and that's the first thing you're hit with right you're just like whoa like you know it's just like night and day um you know as far as whatever's in there it's there it's an arena's an arena after a while right but the way it's built uh it's very nice it's uh the atmosphere game atmosphere inside is fantastic the upper level uh, from what I've heard from a lot of people, and I saw it myself as well, where it's steeper than normal than what uh, people here, are, you know, accustomed to. But the in-house experience um, is watching the game is is fantastic. Like it's night and day. Like it really is. Like when you're in in Rexall up in the stand and there's no bad seats and stuff, but the the even the ice surface, right after the national anthems, it, it's like there's almost right. like this hue <laughs> over the ice, right? Yeah. But and in, in sure. now in the new building, that that scoreboard is so massive. When it turns right after the bottom of it turns on, man, the whole the whole stadium, the whole ice surface is lit up. Like it looks like you're playing on a sheet of snow. It's so white. So it's it's a beautiful building. The atmosphere, from a stand fan standpoint, still isn't there. But I think once the playoffs hit, um, it'll change because so many Oilers fans are on edge right now. They, you know, even though they're winning, they expect them to go on a 10-game losing streak. It's just it's embedded <laughs> in them from years of having to deal with it.
2: For sure. Well, it's funny you say that about the upper bowl because that's when uh, we had the Frozen Fury here in Las Vegas uh, with the Kings Dallas and Kings Avalanche there at the start of the season. That was what uh, the consensus of everybody that came here was, was that, my God, the upper bowl is so steep. It's right on top of the plane surface and you're, you're really a lot closer. And I think I think that's kind of, you know, by design, of course, to match the. Uh, some of the older stadiums, Chicago stadium and the forum and Maple leaf gardens, especially Boston gardens to a lesser extent, but the, the, the way the upper bowl is, is brought out over the, the lower bowl and closer to the ice surface. Um, the acoustically that creates a very loud environment. And it, it, it also gives the fans a, a chance to be right on top of the action. And I always miss those old, old barns where the, the, they're right on top of the ice and, and, you know, some of the best memories are early, for me anyway. Where it's like the old, the old Montreal Forum, the, everybody's right on top, of everybody, and they're they're singing the national anthem, and you can't even hear the singer. Uh, because the crowd's so loud doing that. And a lot of that's to the acoustics of the way those old barns are built. And it's really cool to hear that the arena there in Edmonton's kind of built along those same lines, because as you know, you got to dirty up your building a little bit. Like you said, it's still new. It's still pristine. Get it dirty, get a couple playoff runs through there. And, and it'll, I think it'll pay off in the long run.
3: Yeah, no for sure. And honestly, I think the biggest thing with it here is so many season ticket holders have had them tickets for forever, right? So a lot of the people right. that are sitting up there are older people. So that steepness is something they're like, "Oh, it's hard to get to my seat and whatever the case may be."
2: Right, uh, right. Yeah, I agree
3: with you 100% wholeheartedly. Like from an atmosphere standpoint and from a a viewing standpoint from a from a paying customer, it's it's quite it's quite good. And like I said, I think it'll be a totally different thing come playoff time.
2: All righty. All righty. Well, we got to let you go, sir. Appreciate you coming in and we will definitely talk to you down the road. Once we start doing playoff previews and the Oilers name comes up.
3: You bet you guys take care. Thanks again for having me.
2: All right. Make sure you guys follow, follow Rob on Twitter at oil underscore drop for all of his hockey writers content. And we'll talk to you down the road, sir.
3: Okay. Cheers guys. Take care.
2: All right, Chris. Well, what do you say?
1: Yeah, no, it was good. Uh, I, I think I kind of agree with Rob. I think they're in a good position, but uh, things, as as you said, are a bit tight out there. Uh, I think the Sharks and Ducks are going to start to pull away, and I think it's going to be... Uh, Vancouver, to me, is one of the most uh, biggest overachieving teams. I think push comes to shove. It's going to be a race between the Kings, the Flames, and the Oilers for that last automatic spot. And then, obviously a team like the Oilers or the Flames or the Kings or the Canucks, to be fair. I'm not just going to have that spot to go for, but obviously, as you mentioned, one of the wild cards out west. So, uh, you know, a thought came to me when we were talking about when you were asking Rob about expansion and, you know, the in terms of these potential side deals. You know, one, th- one thing, and I'm not saying that George McPhee in Las Vegas is going to do this in every instance, but, you know, take a team like the Islanders, who kind of have a tough situation because of Ryan Pulak, uh, uh, one of their top young defense prospects, having to be protected. Uh, you know, they can make out a, a deal with the analysts and say, look, we're going to have our exposed list. There's going to be other really good players on it. We want to go to the seven-three-one format, so we're going to leave Pulak exposed. Just take someone other than Pulak, and there will be someone like Calvin DeHaan as an example on that list, and we'll give you a second-round pick. And that would be another way to build up the organization for McPhee of adding a bunch of second, third, fourth round picks when he didn't even give up anything for other than picking somebody else uh, who he likes as well.
2: Well, sure. Remember when we were talking with him on the show, he said uh, he'd call Garth up and... uh... Garth, Garth, him, hey, now take it easy on me, buddy. He's like, nope, it's business now. If uh, he wants to hold somebody back, it'd be a first or a couple first, or we're taking the player we want. And, you know, it's been done in the past. It's been done in the past, and I don't think there's any rules against it. Um, so here, here's your list. If uh, if that's who you're going to leave on it, I think Mr. McPhee going to take who he wants to take, unless someone says, well, how much is that player worth to you? Um right. He, he, there's <coughs> excuse me. There's a lot of young talent in the league right now and you can't protect them all, my friend.
1: No, I I I agree. So uh uh so next week we're gonna have the great Julian Fisher, which was one of our both of our favorite shows last year. She is a Absolutely. anthropologist. Uh and uh, you know, Jillian uh, lives in Boston. Uh, but she's a diehard Philly Flyer fan so we can get her unique perspective on those two teams as well as uh she was at the uh Winter Classic in St. Louis and within the last week or so she did a a trip to Nashville uh I think on that same trip so we can kind of get a feel for those the Winter Classic uh Hockey in Nashville uh as well as um uh the Flyers and the Bruins and uh well, you know we have, a, and uh, later we have a couple more great shows coming up. And we have locked in. People can pencil in or write in ink their calendars. There, February Sunday, February twelfth, that's the week after the Super Bowl, three p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Our trade deadline show. And you might say, wait a minute, isn't the trade deadline at the end of the month? And it is. We're gonna have a panel of guys on. We're gonna have uh, Matt Pryor, Zach Devine, and JD Styles, You know, breaking down who are the buyers, who are the sellers, who's Who's gonna Who's gonna be moved? What big players could be moved? Should be moved? All those good things. That's gonna be an hour format of uh, you know us just peppering the panel, if you will. So uh, that was, so we have a firm date on that. So uh, looking for and next week uh, with Julian Fisher, we're gonna start a half hour earlier than this week. So it'll be 11:30 a.m. Uh, Pacific time and 2:30 p.m. Uh, Eastern time next Saturday. The fourteenth, and hopefully it won't
2: be snowing. <laughs> I don't think I'll have sure. to worry about that, but um, yeah, no, I think uh, you're okay. so, so Chris is Chris has finally settled in over at the Fansided page, Eyes on Isles. They're doing a really good job with him over there. Feels like he's got a, a, a real comfortable home, willing willing to give him a lot of creative control over what he does. And we just want to give a shout out to the guys at Fansided and the Eyes on Isles page uh, for all of Chris's Islanders content. Um, that's where, that's where you do all your Islanders content is through Eyes on Isles, obviously. So if you guys want to find yeah. any of Chris's Islanders content, he's really on the pulse of the team. And, and follow Chris at the NL King on Twitter, back from his fantasy baseball days. Uh, but. He, he filters all his articles through his Twitter handle. Or just go to the fan-sided page, Eyes on Isles, and look him up along with the other guys there. They all do a great job covering the aisles. So we just wanted to, we just want to give a shout-out to Eyes on Isles and also to the guys over at thehockeywriters.com for carrying our podcast. We're on a, a page with a bunch of a bunch of different hockey podcasts, and they're all great shows. They're all great guys. So make sure you go over, check out the thehockeywriters.com, as well as Eyes on Isles. And you can always find our show on SoundCloud iTunes. Google Play, and we archive all the shows that we do live here on blogtalkradio.com. And our keyword is always Vegas Hockey Podcast, all one word. So if you throw that in your search engine or your podcast catcher, you'll be able to find all our shows relatively easy, or go to vegashockeypodcast.com, and we link all our stuff to that as well. So, Chris, unless you got anything else, uh, Viva USA. Yeah,
1: Yeah, one last. one last shout-out is actually my latest Islanders article is how expansion, the upcoming expansion draft, could lead to a trade or two for the Islanders based on what I just uh, talked about. So, you know, And, again, once again, congratulations, you said, to Team, US, Team Long Island. I mean, Team USA for bringing home the uh, World Championships, I think the first time since 2010, I believe. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think John Carlson uh uh, uh scored uh, the game winner in that one for the one from the Washington uh, Caps. So uh looking forward to the next 2013. shows as always. Yeah.
2: Two thousand thirteen.
1: Oh, Two thousand thirteen, okay. Ten, oh, okay. thirteen and seventeen. All right. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. Well I'm looking forward to the neat uh uh what we have ahead. We've got a lot of great shows coming up and uh you know, and um and, and as the weeks go by we're gonna be talking more Vegas golden Knights as well because uh my friend, it's uh, getting closer and closer to becoming a reality in terms of who's
2: going to be on the team. Oh, man, I, can't. I, I hear you. We always said it was going to go fast, and now that it's in 2017, we're in the calendar year where where Vegas will will ice a team. So every every little bit of news is exciting, and, and I tell you the community is on fire. The, you're starting to see all the merch popping up in all the stores. I got my sweater, my hat. And you, you, you're bumping into people while you're wearing your hat. They're wearing their hat, and you just kind of tip the hat and give them a nod. And it's, uh, it's the excitement is building, sir. It's it's. Uh, hey, it's going to be going to be interesting to see 100. Jillian.
1: Yes, and we're only about a hundred days away from the draft lottery, and that will be the that'll be a huge night for a lot of Vegas for the Vegas
0: Golden Knights.
2: Yeah, well, the way they're going to do it is he's going to have us out at T-Mobile Arena um, with the ice surface down. And he's going to have the full every time they announce a player, if that guy can get into town, he's going to skate him out in the jersey. That's also as, as of now, that's going to be like when they unveil the jerseys is when they they present the team. It's going to be a, a if they can make it to Vegas, they're going to be introduced in person on the ice. Uh, in uniform, oh, wow. so that's gonna, yeah. It's as of right now, those are the plants, So that's gonna be really exciting too. Give the kids, give the kids remember, a lot of fun I, to get I, down I, on the glass.
1: Oh, definitely. I was uh, talking about the uh, the NHL draft lottery, though, where you know Vegas obviously has a chance to, you know, wind up with the number one pick. That that will be, you know, what mid late
0: April.
2: <sighs> I. As long as we don't go worse than third, I feel, you know, when, when uh, our old friend Tom Cuddehy, um Buffalo Sabres fan, had the worst record in the league two years in a row and did not get the first pick either year. Um, you know, to uh, Jack Eichel, flip so I'm
0: of it.
2: Yeah, but Jack Eichel's not Connor McDavid either, sir. Yeah. I, I, look, I mean, we just, we just spent a half hour, 45 minutes talking about Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers, and they're in the playoffs. Buffalo is going to be picking first again, but uh, as long as we don't pick worse than our ping ball, pong ball slot, which is number three, if we could take the third overall, I'll be happy with that. If somehow we end up down at sixth, I'm going to be very disappointed, and I and I'll certainly be pleasantly surprised if we get the number one. Yeah, I don't think
1: there's going to be a huge difference between picks. Well, well, again, we'll have, we'll have people on it to talk about it, uh, especially with uh, fans in Vegas eagerly wanting to hear about it. We'll have Zach Devine back specifically to talk about the draft. <laughs> reach out to Russ Cohen, about, Russ Cohen about it. But from my – what the sense I get is the guys taken between three and six, uh, it's going to be pretty close. I mean, on one draft board, they could have – their player at six could be another team's drift void. Uh, that player's there for them at three. So, uh, you know, obviously I think there'll be a little bit of difference between picking one or two, but not so much picking three through six, but still a lot of time before that.
2: Yep. Uh, I don't know. I guess that the, if it's that bunched up, I guess you'll get a really good look at, at uh, McPhee's philosophy as far as centerman forwards or defensemen, on on how he wants to go about building this team um, and what he values as a as a franchise position so it'll be interesting to see even so if he if he does get that third pick and the, that talent group right there at the end of the year is bunched up um, and you have a defenseman a forward and a couple centermen which way he goes so it'll be interesting to get a read on that absolutely well, all right, buddy. A good show this week. Appreciate it. Make sure you guys, uh, one, one more thing follow us on Twitter at Vegas Hockey Pod as well. All of our content goes through there. So until next week with Julian Fesher, for Chris, I'm Mark, and we're gone.